Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. Today's guest is someone who majorly recognized the importance of advocating for herself and doing her own research to heal herself. Mickey Trescott was an early adopter of the autoimmune protocol, and I'm interested to learn more about what this is and how she approached it. So welcome, Mickey. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So happy to have you here. So let's start. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Mickey Trescott, and I live in the beautiful Willamette Valley in Oregon. And I serve the worldwide audience of people who really are trying to figure out how they can help themselves manage chronic illness better. So this might be through the work that I do in diet, which is helping people with elimination diets. But more recently, I have transitioned into even teaching people how to advocate for themselves in the medical system and also work on some of the other lifestyle factors that are not diet related. So things like stress management, focusing on sleep, focusing on connection. And yeah, I love it. Such, such, such important work to be doing. So thank you for doing that. Advocating for ourselves is obviously such a huge thing. Have you always been in Oregon? I have not. So I've started my journey growing up in Southern California. I've lived some time in Colorado. I lived a long time in Seattle, Washington. Uh, And then my family kind of got implanted somehow in Oregon, and we've all just (laughs) kind of made home base here. So we love it a lot. It's one of the few states I've never been to that is high on my list. I just hear incredible things. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We've got a little bit of everything in Oregon. It might not be as showy or as flashy as some other states, but it's really nice here. I love that. I will let you know when I make a trip. Yeah, do it. So let's dig right in You grew up with severe asthma and then years later found out that your asthma might actually be an allergy to dairy. Can you briefly walk us through this part of your health journey? Totally. So, you know, as a kid, I had asthma diagnosed by my pediatrician when I was five or six years old and I wasn't allowed to play sports. I had the daily inhaler and then the emergency inhaler. Um, Like most asthmatic children, I had a pretty typical presentation and A few times I had to go to the emergency room just because I had an asthma attack that was so bad. Now looking back, I remember that they were always at birthday parties where I would eat ice cream cake, things that now I know I'm allergic to dairy and I was having an anaphylactic reaction to it. But in that context of being a child diagnosed with childhood asthma, everybody thought that it was the asthma when really, you know, it's the dairy because as an adult, I get that same reaction. So when I was uh, in college, I had a roommate who was vegan and she was like, hey, why don't you try this out with me for a couple weeks? So I went vegan for a couple weeks. And by the end of that time, I didn't need my daily inhaler anymore. And I called my mom and I was like, hey, you know, I don't know about this asthma thing. I might be like growing out of it or, you know, this vegan diet. And she was like, 
ready to hop on a plane and and fly out to Colorado and, <laughs> and force me to take my medicine. But really, that was the beginning of discovering that it wasn't actually asthma, it was dairy, because I was able to fully go off my inhalers. I was able to actually do sports for the first time. Like I went to the running shoe store and I bought a pair of running shoes, first pair I'd ever had in my life. And I started this thing called running, which um, I didn't know about ever, <laughs> because I wasn't allowed to run as a kid, which is crazy. And, uh, and every time I would be exposed to dairy, I would have that anaphylactic reaction and I needed to keep an inhaler because of the exposure potential, not because I actually had asthma. Wow. That's wild. I mean, and I think there's a lot more education these days on allergies, you know, especially in kids. And I feel like we hear a lot about people talking about, you know, not bringing in gluten or dairy or nuts into preschools and schools in general, because you just have no idea what kids are going through. We talked about this a little bit with past guest Ali Koshkosh on episode 43, whose son was allergic to peanuts. And it's just like, you just have to be preventative to a certain extent. But it sounds like in your time, there wasn't really that education factor to know the difference or know that it even existed to have an allergy to dairy as opposed to what asthma reactions were. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And especially when a symptom like asthma crops up, we, you know, conventional medicine has tools for that. They have inhalers, you know, that's what doctors think like, okay, you have a kid that's coming in with wheezing and coughing and it's chronic and they don't understand where it's coming from, obviously, because maybe they're having an allergen that's in everything they eat. They're just like, okay, take the inhaler that fixes the problem. They don't really think of the root cause and, you know, not to bash conventional medicine because it definitely has a lot of benefits, but that's what they're good at is here's a symptom. Here's the thing we have to treat that symptom. They're not good at actually looking at why. And so that was the first experience that I had kind of discovering a root issue and being like, oh, whoa, you know, that's actually really powerful figuring out that I have control over the very thing that is underlying this whole thing that, you know, I don't know what my life would be like if I had been able to play sports as a kid and like run around, you know, that's kind of crazy to think about. So yeah, it was a big turning point for me. Yeah. It's one of my many challenges with conventional medicine is really thinking that you know, doctors know medications and they know treatment like surgery. And when it comes to diet and a lot of these other things, it's just not something that they went to school and are educated on. Not to say that many of them or all of them are opposed to it, but they just don't know that information about root causes like functional and holistic medicine routes do. So you mentioned uh, going vegan. What made you go vegan instead of just dairy free? So at first I didn't, I had no idea that the dairy was going to be the piece that was really impactful for me, but honestly it was being in close proximity with someone who was vegan. I mean, I was freshman year in college. I was kind of ripe for, you know, trying a new thing. And I was living with this person who, you know, to her credit was not dogmatic and was not pushy about it. But I was like, oh yeah, that seems fun. I could totally try that. <laughs> and when I did, I felt so much better. I mean, it's hard to overestimate like how not being able to breathe properly and then being able to breathe properly, that's pretty life-changing. So I just felt systemically like my whole person had changed now. And I really attributed that change to the being vegan because I had this really quick turnaround where I was like, wow, I can breathe now and I can like do these things like go on a run or, you know, be active and this is going to change my life. And wow, like I need to eat this way forever. 
And that's kind of how that shift went for me. It's so amazing how quickly you were able to identify that and sort of recognize, okay, I need to follow through with this. And then at age 26, shortly after college, you were diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and how you got that diagnosis? Yeah. So this is about eight or nine years later. I started having some numbness and tingling in my fingertips. And it was over the winter when I first noticed I was riding my bike. I lived in Seattle at this point. I, I didn't have a car. So I rode my bike in the cold and the rain to work every day. And I would get to work and my fingertips would be numb and tingly. And I'd be like, huh, like this isn't the usual like, okay, my hands are cold. This is kind of like hanging out. And I went through phases of worrying about it and being like, should I go to a doctor? Should I not? You know, a lot of people with chronic illness, when these really kind of seemingly random nonspecific symptoms come up, we tend to just dismiss them and go, oh, yeah, that's just like, you know, whatever cold, like maybe like I've always had cold hands and feet. Maybe that's just like part of that. And then it was like the shedding, the hair shedding on the pillow being like, huh, my long hair, you know, down to my belly button, thick, curly, full, you know, was really like becoming a whole thing, you know, shedding on the pillow. Then it was like really coming out of my brush in the shower and being kind of like, huh, what's going on there? And then it was the weight gain, which you know, wasn't a lot. I don't want to say like it wasn't like a significant weight gain, but for my activity level at this point in my life, I was working on my feet in the service industry eight to 10 hours a day. I was riding my bike to and from work. I was running a lot. I was rock climbing. And then I would go on like for a weekend with my friends, like backpacking or hiking or doing like a 30 mile bike ride in addition to all of that. And it was just to be eating like a, a vegan diet where I was eating very low calories, very low fat, and then be gaining weight was just kind of like, huh, I don't know that this is really my body is functioning right. So those were kind of the really early symptoms. Over the course of a year, I saw six doctors and each one was like this, okay, I need to like work up some, you know, courage to go in. I didn't have health insurance. So that was a whole thing. So paying out of pocket and then they would say, oh, you know, you're fine. This is just, you know, you have naturally cold hands and feet or, you know, the numbness and tingling, you're passing a neurological exam. So, you know, there's nothing wrong. And so they started to kind of put me in this category of hypochondriac and possible like depression. I was got asked like if I had an eating disorder. Um, your audience that has struggled with thyroid problems or chronic illness is probably very familiar with this experience. But each doctor was kind of this buildup of hope and then let down on the end where I was just so left feeling so demoralized and really discouraged from continuing to seek answers. And so in this process, I did a lot of Googling. I did a lot of self-education. I absolutely pinpointed that I had classic thyroid symptoms. And I started asking for thyroid tests. Of course, I was told, oh, we've measured your TSH, which is a very baseline, basic, you know, what conventional medicine calls as a thyroid lab. It's actually a hormone that's produced in the brain. So it's not actually even a thyroid hormone. So they would test my TSH. They would say, oh, your TSH is fine. You don't have thyroid problem. I came across Hashimoto's. I said, you know what? This is an autoimmune thyroid disease. I think that this could be what I have. Of course, nobody would actually test the antibodies. So it was that sixth doctor that I was, you know, a puddle. <laughs> I was just so depressed. I was so upset about everything. And I was just like, can you just please test me for this autoimmune thyroid disease? I really think this is what's going on. And sure enough, 
not only did that antibody test come back positive, but this doctor also tested the transglutaminase antibodies for celiac disease, and that also came back positive. So I got kind of a double win with this doctor, which was really incredible. But it was like all of that that had built up was quickly deflated when he was like, oh yeah, but your thyroid labs are normal and you're ready eating a gluten-free diet. So there's nothing you can do to actually improve your situation. Sorry. And that was like, wow. Whoa. Like you had spent all this time going to these five other doctors and feeling totally deflated. And then you get to him having hope and there's not really an answer. So what'd you do from there? Well, I did a lot of soul searching. And honestly, when I got the diagnosis, I was still kind of teetering on that edge of like having a full health crisis. I think emotionally, I I was just really putting everything I could into just getting through every day. And then when I got the diagnosis, I was told that there wasn't anything anyone could do or that it wasn't bad enough. It was like the thyroid labs were the thing that were waiting. Wasn't bad Yeah, well, it wasn't bad enough so that nothing could be done. It was like, let this weight off where I was like, okay, I can actually stop pretending that I have everything together and like allow myself to be sick. And when I did that, I got so much sicker. Like I started having pleurisy, which is inflammation of the lining of the lungs. So like every breath I took was really painful. I started having neurological issues. So I started slurring my speech. I started bumbling around, bumping into things, not being able to bend over to pick something up without falling over. I started um, having a loss of sensation in the left side of my face and left side of my body. And then my thyroid symptoms got way worse. So my regular body temperature was 93, 94 degrees. I would take my temperature all the time because I was reading online about how to do some self-tracking. And then I was mortified to find out how cold my body actually was. At this point, like walking up a flight of stairs, I mean, I could do it maybe once or twice a day. I would have to like ration when I needed to go downstairs. I would try to muster the energy to do everything I needed to do down there because I knew that the last time I came upstairs, I was done. So things like that, it got really bad. I lost my job. There was no way I could work in this condition. And I kept going to specialists. And at this point, I was in neurology, rheumatology. They were thinking, well, maybe it's MS, maybe it's lupus. I had some markers for each disease. And they also told me, you know, you could have the early stages of these diseases, but we need you to have these symptoms for six more months before we can really dig in, give you a definitive diagnosis, and then offer you some treatments. And so again, that was like devastating. And then that's when I started to go, you know, I want to start doing what I can do. So looking into diet, um, remember at this point, I'm still vegan. And I had been asking my doctors, like, could my vegan diet be causing this? And they all said, no, your cholesterol is amazing. Like, this is a really heart healthy diet. It's not going to affect what's going on with you in any way. But deep down, I had this feeling because of that experience with the dairy I was like, I really think that food might be a part of this. I don't know what part of it it is, but I want to figure that out. So that's kind of where that shift came from was being at that rock bottom thinking like, okay, maybe I have like neurological autoimmune disease or something else that's kind of causing all this stuff. And I need to figure it out because, you know, I've done my diligence with the conventional system. I've gone into an incredible amount of debt for someone without health insurance. I'd been in the hospital a couple of times. And I was just ready to like take that on and own my journey and and figure it out. 
wow, this is quite the journey. And I think the big thing that really stands out to me here is how much you recognize that you had to advocate for yourself. So can you talk a little bit about how you managed and coped and emotionally handled all of this, recognizing that no one was really by your side and supporting you through this from a professional or medical standpoint? Yeah, I mean, to be totally honest, in those early days, I had like zero support from any of the providers that I saw. They all labeled me as a hypochondriac. They thought that it was all in my head. They thought that I was not experiencing the symptoms that I said that I was experiencing. And that was just absolutely devastating to me. Of course. That's insane. And and I think it happened with the first couple doctors. There must have been something in my chart that they put in there because it was like the more and more doctors I saw, the sooner they would bring in the like, hmm, let's try some antidepressants or can we talk to you alone without your husband so that we can like see if there's anything else like an eating disorder. And and it started to become a pattern. And I was like, oh, they don't believe me. They don't think that like what I'm saying is actually happening. But like, how can they explain the like 93 degree temperature? Like I would try to hang on to those things. Like I would show them pictures of my full hair only a few years before. And then I only had a third of the hair and I'd be like, look, I'm not making this up. You know, so that was so hard. And then my family and my friends, at that point, I didn't have the tools to explain what I was going through. And I think they started to get really worn down. Like, you know, our families and our support structure in the beginning when people get sick, I think everyone's really willing to jump on board and be like, yeah, I'm on team whoever. Like, you know, we're all going to get through this. We're going to support you. But when you've been through like nine months, they see you kind of slowly draining your finances, seeing all these doctors and specialists, and then not really taking the answer and not really getting any treatment and then being kind of like, huh, what's actually going on here? So I definitely experienced resistance from people in my life. They didn't mean to, but I just, I felt like I was really alone in that. And that was the hardest part. So really, you know, that advocacy piece came out of just being broken down and having to build myself up every time. And I learned that, The more I knew about what I was experiencing and the more I had accurate language to describe it and the more better educated I was in the tests that I was asking for and in the clarity that I had about the way that I spoke about my illness, the better the chance of getting what I wanted. And then I also learned how to collaborate and how to tell If a doctor was going to be collaborative, you can just tell, you can say, hey, like this is a story, you know, I remember that sixth doctor, I went into him, he was a naturopathic doctor, which I was hesitant to go to all that time just because of the cost. I was really worried about expense. But when I went into him, I was like, okay, here's my story. You know, you're going to look at my chart. It's going to say like hypochondriac, like we think she needs antidepressants, whatever, like, but here's the thing. This is what I'm experiencing. It is very real to me. I think that I need some targeted lab testing. Here's the list of labs that I've researched. I would love your input on what you think or if you think there's anything else we need to do. And I'd love to partner with you on this. And it was so different, I think, when I was a little more specific and a little more real instead of saying, you know, gosh, my hair is, you know, focusing on the really physical things that are kind of like, Honestly, like a male doctor is not really going to 
vibe with that, <laughs> you know, which is mostly what a lot of us are, are concerned about. It's like my hands and feet are cold. It's really easy for them to be like, oh, okay, well, you know. So yeah, the advocacy piece came from practice and kind of building up that courage. Hopefully that um, wasn't a crazy long answer to, <laughs> to that question. No, I think it's really important because I think there's so many people listening to the podcast and or past guests who have been through this sort of thing. And it can be really exhausting to go through this process, especially when you feel alone, which is very common through this stuff. Uh, and I think it's important to address that. So at some point through all this, do you get clarity on what your diagnosis is? I always had the clarity since the antibodies came back. And at that point, I had really been researching what autoimmune disease was, how it worked, how, you know, once the autoimmune reaction starts happening, it doesn't go away. So I always had that clarity, but it wasn't until that rock bottom, which is about three or four months later, when I got the kind of, well, maybe it's all these other things, but we need to wait six more months. And when they said six more months, I was like, like, I am going to figure this out. I'm not just going to wait. I'm not just going to live with these symptoms. And so that spurred me to action. So that's when I started researching the impact of diet and autoimmune disease. I wanted to see how those two things work together. I wanted to find stories online of people who had been managing those diseases well, because I mean, Hashimoto's disease, it's an autoimmune disease affects the thyroid, celiac disease, autoimmune disease affects the small intestine. These are very common autoimmune diseases. There are plenty of people that are functioning in the world and I wanted to figure out how they were doing it and what the key to success was. So that's kind of where my research began. Got it. And I take it that's where you found the autoimmune protocol. Can you talk a little bit about what that protocol is and how it helps people with autoimmune diseases? Totally. So the autoimmune protocol, you know, when I discovered it, it was not this whole movement that it is today. So back then I was like reading between the lines, doing this research about diet and autoimmune disease. I was reading a lot of ancestral nutrition books. So people like Chris Kresser and Rob Wolf were kind of talking about the impact of the gut lining, so intestinal permeability, basically how the body gets nutrients and how the immune system interacts kind of with the food that we eat and how that impacts people with autoimmune disease or gut issues. So they had done some pretty basic research about just ancestral nutrition and why maybe like a ancestral diet that doesn't have grains and, and sugar and those sorts of things might be beneficial for health in general. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Cauliflower Foods. Cauliflower Foods was born when Amy Lacey was diagnosed with lupus and she realized she needed to change her eating habits for long-term health. As a mom, she knew she couldn't sacrifice taste when it came to feeding her family. So she spent months in her kitchen perfecting a cauliflower pizza crust. This pizza crust ultimately launched Cauliflower Foods. I've had this crust and it is seriously amazing. And I'm definitely someone who strives to eat healthy, but I also love good food. And this crust checks both boxes. I'm always excited when I remember I have one tucked in my freezer. And to be honest, I like to keep a stockpile of them. They're that good. In addition to crust, Cauliflower Foods also makes flatbreads and frozen pizzas. And their products are low carb, low glycemic, gluten-free, and grain-free. 
To learn more, visit califlowerfoods.com and get 10% off your order using the code MADEVISIBLE at checkout. The code can be used one time on any order. That's C-A-L-I-F-L-O-U-R-F-O-O-D-S.com and made visible, one word, at checkout. And now back to the show. But then they had these little, a couple sentences in their work that was like, you know, and then people with autoimmune disease, like research shows that maybe they could even take it a step further and cut out foods like um, nightshade family vegetables and nuts and seeds and just saying that there's some preliminary research showing that these things might be problematic. And so there were a few other people that I was in support groups online and we all kind of were in the same place at the same time looking for answers in our own diseases and and trying to figure out, you know, what the diet piece was going to be. And we created a Facebook group, private Facebook group. There were six of us. And we started experimenting on ourselves and doing an elimination diet. And so I had decided that I would stop being vegan if I had a positive experience with animal foods. And so once I started reading about all this nutrient approach and kind of how the immune system needs certain nutrients, I realized where a vegan diet was not supporting my needs there. I realized that things like organ meats were just going to be medicine if this theory was correct. So I had my husband cook up some lamb liver and liver is actually one of the most nutrient dense foods. I know a lot of people are probably like shocked being like, oh my God, a vegan would just like start eating liver, but I'm really into science. I'm completely cringing because I (laughs) haven't had meat in 11 years and I've never had red meat in my life. So totally. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> but when it's you so look at the nutrition, I know, I know, I know. I was totally there. But when I, I mean, I was bedridden at 26 and I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to do the hardest thing. I looked at the nutrient profile on paper. I was like, okay, the B vitamins, the zinc, the iron, all of these things, like they were wanting to give me infusions. My iron was so low. Supplements weren't working. And it's like, okay, I'm going to try the most iron rich food with all these other nutrients and see how I feel. So my husband had to cook it. I couldn't smell it. Like I was in another room. He had to like chop it up in little bits and hide it in vegetables. And I took two bites and I was thinking, I'm going to be so sick. Like I've been hearing for all this time, I've been vegan almost 10 years. Like you eat meat, you're going to lose ability to digest it. It's going to rot in your stomach, all these things, right? So I go upstairs, I lay down in bed and I'm kind of like waiting to get sick. And I just, I'm like flooded with this really warm, like really warm, really good feeling. And I look in the mirror and like my cheeks are pink and I'm like, whoa, like I've got some color and I take my temperature and my body's like 97 degrees. And this was the time period where like, if I was saw 94, I was happy. Like it was just, it was so fast. And I mean, now I know, I, I mean, since then I've gone to school for nutrition. I understand how B vitamins work. And, and I think my body just was really craving those nutrients and I got a little bit of a flush from it and I got some energy I hadn't felt in a really long time and I went okay you know I didn't want that to happen but it was my body telling me that that was a part of what was going on was the nutrient deficiency so yeah I started incorporating animal foods and then I started eliminating because in a vegan diet, a vegetarian diet you really need to rely on grains and legumes and even though I was 
a very healthful vegan. I was applying it in a non-junk food, non-processed, not a lot of sugar type of way. I was still eating a lot of grains, even gluten-free grains. Um, I had been gluten-free for a while at this point. I was eating a lot of legumes, which I have discovered don't actually really work digestively for me very well. So I started to kind of transition. I kept the vegetables in the diet, but then I started cutting out the grains and the legumes. And then I started adding in the really high quality meats and seafoods, but starting with the things that were really nourishing and easier. So like a lot of bone broth, a lot of vegetables with broth and things like that. So I started doing elimination diet, which is what the autoimmune protocol turned into. You know, there are books written about it. I've written a couple books, but the founding book is called The Paleo Approach by Sarah Ballantyne, who has a PhD in medical biophysics. And she was one of the six women that was in this private Facebook group where we were all kind of like experimenting and figuring this out together. Um, so she's written this beautiful book with 2000 scientific references and put together a protocol where, you know, you eliminate grains, beans, eggs, dairy, nuts, seeds, and nightshade family vegetables. And these are all based in science just in how the foods um, react with the immune system and with the gut lining. And then you reintroduce those foods one at a time to see what your individual tolerance is. So the person ends up with a diet that is most supportive of their healing process and is unlikely to contain any food triggers in it, which are really common with people with autoimmune disease. 70% of our immune systems are in our guts. So that's kind of how the autoimmune protocol was born. But the way that I started to implement it, there was no roadmap we were all just kind of like experimenting and figuring it out ourselves. And I mean, that's part of the reason why a lot of the six of us in that group, one of them also was my partner, Angie Alt, who we work together on a website, autoimmunewellness.com. We've all kind of co-founded this movement of like putting information out there for other people who want to figure this out for themselves. That's incredible. I mean, I just keep going back to advocating for yourself and recognizing what works for you. And you clearly seeing that diet played such a huge role in your story and your health, whether doctors believed in it or not. So what advice would you give to someone who's maybe eating, you know, everything and anything, not reading labels, not paying attention to gluten or non-gluten products that maybe dealing with some health issues, whether they've been diagnosed or not with something, in choosing the autoimmune protocol or even veganism or gluten-free, what advice would you have for them? So the thing that I would focus on, it's not about what diet is better because we're all bio-individuals. And if I've learned anything in my years now since becoming a nutritionist, working one-on-one -on -one with people, and then being a part of this community that sprung up around AIP is not that diet is not the thing that fixes everything and not everyone is going to thrive on the same diet, which is actually why I don't call the autoimmune protocol a diet. It's a template to figure out what diet's going to work for you. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I do too. Really? Because it just, it's not. It's kind of this lifelong process that once you have the tool to evaluate if something is going to work for you or not, and actually that can be applied to relationships, it can be applied to physical space and movement and, and all kinds of things. It's not just foods. You can be intolerant to a lot of things in your life. So it's not about which diet is better than others. And really, there's no way of knowing what diet's going to work best for you unless you try to get in there and have the experience and learn. But the thing that I think applies for everyone and why my most recent book is not titled anything AIP or is not 
obviously AIP, is nutrient density, because I believe that the concept of nutrient density transcends any way of eating. And people that are, are healthy, but you know have some general little health concerns, people who are thinking of having a baby, you know, men and women preconception, maybe women who are pregnant, postpartum, um, people that are aging, finding their body shifting, children. I mean, nutrient density is something that most of us, I mean, I think actually all of us should really take seriously and why I like focusing on nutrient density over eat this, don't eat that, black and white, is that when you focus on the things that are good, they crowd out the things that are bad, right? So say you're eating a pescatarian diet or someone's eating a pescatarian diet, they don't eat red meat. That's totally fine. I've seen lots of people who don't eat meat that can thrive on their diet. But if they focus on the things about seafood that are really good and really nutritious, so like wild caught fatty fish, this is going to be like your salmon, mackerel, sardines. These types of foods are just really full of anti-inflammatory fats. They've got lots of selenium. They've got some zinc. They've got some B vitamins. They like a nutrient density wise, they are a superfood. So if you're going to eat seafood in your diet, why not make sure the seafood that you eat is going to be those most nutrient dense foods, right? If you're going to be eating meat, why not include the organ meat? So I actually, coming from the vegan background, I don't like eating a lot of red meat. I don't like eating a lot of meat in general. And one of the ways that I can get away with eating less meat is eating more nutrient-dense meat, which is going to be found in the organs. (laughs) So through eating something like liver, I can eat one ounce of liver in a ton of vegetables and some fruit and things for breakfast instead of eating like a four or six ounce burger patty and quite honestly, that ounce of liver is going to have more nutrition in it than 10 of those burger patties. And to me, that's a lot more sustainable. It's a lot more respectful. It's a lot more affordable because those organ meats, people don't like eating them. So they're not as expensive. You know, half the time, like my farmer has a whole freezer full of offal and she's like, oh, you can take whatever you want. And I'm like, you don't know who you're talking to. (laughs) So (laughs) you probably shouldn't make that offer to me. Um, So, you know, just thinking in terms of if you're even someone who's like, gosh, I'm not going to eat organ meat. I don't even eat seafood. Where do I start? Start with vegetables. Do you eat vegetables? Vegetables are nutrient dense. Okay, you eat vegetables. Do you eat wild plants? Wild plants have way higher phytonutrients. They have more antioxidants. Are you eating things like arugula and you know watercress and purslane and nettles and you know try to have fun and experiment with some of those new nutrient dense foods and then build from there. So not everyone has to go on this crazy restrictive elimination protocol. Maybe if you're very motivated, like I was, bedridden at 26. But if you're someone who's just kind of having some fatigue, some joint pain, maybe think of increasing the nutrient density, increasing the quality, crowd out some of the other stuff, which it's just going to happen. It's going to be the, you know, the highly processed nutrient poor foods, the sugar, the grains, and those things get kicked out of your diet. And then um, you can feel really positive about that whole process. Like you have the ability to choose what's on your plate and you know that it makes you feel good or bad, you know? It's interesting because it makes me think of my situation, which is when you talk about all these different symptoms that you dealt with and that many people deal with, I don't really have a lot of symptoms on a day-to-day basis with my condition. I have major lung issues and internally based on my CAT scan, my lung doesn't look very good, but I'm not majorly affected by it. 
So for me, diet's been this really big challenge for a while of the word deprivation is unfortunately at the forefront for me, where I'm like, I don't want to give up pasta. I don't want to give up these things. But is it possible that my lungs and my body and my immune system in general could improve by changing my diet? Yeah, of course. But I think because I don't have some of these symptoms that so many people do, it's hard for me to go, okay, I got to start this because I got to start feeling better. I don't really feel crappy. So it's an interesting thing to sort of put into the mix here. Yeah, I mean, we're all motivated by the intersection of like what we're experiencing and what it's worth to not experience that. And I think a lot of people, you know, there are a lot of chronic illnesses and a lot of autoimmune diseases that can actually be kind of mild. And the way that they present is maybe like, you know, some people that get psoriasis just get it on their elbows yeah. and, you know, is going through this whole overhaul, you know, not to minimize how painful and stressful having, you know, a disease on your elbows can be. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But, you know, compared to someone who can't get out of bed in the day, like everybody's motivation is going to be completely different. And so, for some diseases and some conditions like yeah doing a whole elimination diet getting really in there and like you know controlling every input is like going to add a lot of stress and actually in the case of psoriasis is very responsive to stress in my experience and sometimes adding the stress can actually even cause the condition to flare worse and it has nothing to do with what someone's eating because all these other factors are important so we need to find that balance between tweaking with the diet, how motivated you are and what you're looking to change, and then kind of all these other aspects of health and find a balance that's actually doable and sustainable, helps you feel empowered and control of your own journey. And yeah, is a good blend of all of that. And that's tricky. That's no, you can't like stamp that on a book cover and be like, all right, bestseller. Like that's not a, a sexy marketable concept, like figuring out what works for you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely true. I'm just sitting here shaking my head. Yes, yes, yes. So what made you decide to make the protocol not just part of your health story, but a big part of your career? Because as you mentioned, you have this website, you've written some books, you have a podcast. Why did you choose to do that and put it out there? So my background is in cooking and I love creating new recipes. I've worked as a personal chef in people's homes doing batch cooking, which is cooking a bunch of food at once to be enjoyed later as leftovers, just kind of setting people up to have really great food. I've done this for myself for many years before I got sick. And then when I was sick, I had a lot of time to think about what do I want to do? I want to make a career shift. I don't want to be working on my feet. I don't want to be in contact with all of these foods. I was really worried about going back to work as a cook because then I would have to handle gluten and like I wouldn't be able to taste the food. And I was just kind of really worried about that. So I went back to school. I studied nutrition with the Nutritional Therapy Association and got a degree through them. And my first idea was that I would use that somehow with cooking. And how that started out was a blog. And I thought I would start writing recipes for people that are on elimination diets or are sensitive to a bunch of ingredients and posting them online. I had no idea that it would just take off the way that it has. But really sharing both my story and my recipes showed me that people 
people were interested not only in learning how to cook. I mean, a lot of people just don't even know how to like roast a sweet potato or a chicken, you know, those types of things that I thought it was like, everybody knows how to do this. I realized there's a big barrier to actually just learning how to cook for people and then also how to modify cooking for people who have joint pain or are sick. So that was interesting to me. And then also teaching people how they can navigate their own stories. And that just came through sharing my own story and the little things that I learned, the advocacy pieces, the informing yourself pieces, the building a support network, connecting with your community, those kind of things. So I partnered with Angie Alt really early on. We were both friends and we were both kind of doing a similar thing with our blogs. And we decided to join forces and create a community website where we could include other voices and start doing meetup groups and those kind of things. And it just clicked. I can't really say that there was a moment where I was like, this is what I want to do with my career. But at some point, we found ourselves like now we're doing medical studies. So we've partnered with a lot of doctors to do research about autoimmune disease and diet. Um, We've even crowdfunded because our community is just so enthusiastic about the prospect of putting this up to the scientific process and learning more. So, you know, four or five years ago, I wouldn't have said that my job is trying to get in and dismantle a very broken and very stressful process for people. But I mean, that's what I would say I do. And, you know, it's really incredible, the community that has sprung up around that. And, you know, the more I do this, the more I realize how big this task really is just from any perspective from the health insurance side the healthcare side from the patient advocacy side um it's just you know the medical studies the food industry i mean it's like crazy so there's a lot of layers to it that's for sure but i love that you are so committed to the educational component and recognizing through your community and through your own experience what's valuable to share And what's important to educate people on, because there are so many people that are walking around not really knowing what to do. And you're saying, hey, here's something that worked for me. I'm not saying it's for everyone, because that's certainly no one size fits all with this. But it's important to explore this if you're willing to commit to it. What does managing your health look like now on a day to day basis other than diet, more lifestyle stuff? Yeah. So one big thing that I did was I left the city, which I know um, doesn't work for everyone, but I decided to move outside Seattle and I live on a farm. And for me, having really easy access to nature, but also animals, um, being able to care for something else, and in my case, it was animals on the farm here, really expanded, I think, my understanding of like it got me out of just taking care of myself, having other things that need nurturing and needing support. And I know for other people, this can come through in like volunteer work, being a part of a faith community or something. But that was really important for me and being able to be around the animals and be outside is really important. I try to get a lot of appropriate activity. This is always an ongoing thing for me because I used to be a chronic over-exerciser. And for people with autoimmune 
autoimmune disease, exercise can be kind of seen on this U-shaped curve. So not exercising can cause more pain and more issues and over-exercising. And I've been on both ends of that spectrum. So before I got sick, I was trying to out-exercise a lot of my stress and a lot of my symptoms. And I used over-exercising to justify that I would, oh, I'm healthy, I'm strong, I just rode my bike 30 miles, like there's nothing wrong with me. I'm trying to find the middle. You know, after I got sick, I didn't exercise. I thought, oh no, I'm sick. I can't do this. It's going to hurt me. I'm going to get sore. So finding that balance, that's definitely something that I'm still working on. And I've discovered swimming recently, which I find really helpful. Walking, I really love. And then doing some stretching and mobility work. Um, Weirdly enough, yoga, I can get myself into trouble. I'm a little hypermobile. And so, you know, some people out there that are also hypermobile or don't feel good doing yoga, like it's okay if the thing that everyone says is good for everyone doesn't work for you, totally fine. <laughs> you know, um, that's out there. And then just trying to maintain connection with people I love. That's a little harder when you move away from the city, you know, when there's lots of people and, and staying in touch. So trying to stay connected, I'm a little closer to my family. So I've become really connected with them, but also trying to maintain my connections, my friendships and everything virtually through a computer, which computers, you know, are not great for our health. And the work that I do is very virtual and very online. So always trying to make peace with that balance. So I love that question that you asked that Harper. Yeah, of course. So you wrote to me before we recorded this episode that healing isn't about being perfect with diet and lifestyle changes and reversing disease. It's about defining for you what health truly is, acknowledging your successes and learning lessons about listening to your body that will serve a life of managing autoimmune disease. That's super, super powerful. So can you talk a little bit more about what that means to you? Yeah, I think over time, I used to think that like, if I did all the things I checked all the boxes, it would like magically everything would work and I would feel great. But what I've realized is that healing is this like roller coaster journey that sometimes you get some wins, sometimes you get some setbacks, but there are no guarantees. And when I feel good, I try really hard to soak in how it feels to feel good and to enjoy that moment instead of thinking, how could I make this better? Because I think it can get really tempting to um, get overly perfectionistic or kind of become like this taskmaster of like, okay, I need to take this supplement at this hour and then I need to go on my walk, you know, and I'm definitely a type A kind of person. I love routine. I love putting myself through rigorous things, but really just like stepping back and being like, well, why am I doing all of this? I'm doing this so that I can be fulfilled and enjoy my life and the people around me. And I don't need to feel perfect and I don't need to feel better most of the time than I do right now in order to do that. So why don't I just let those feelings soak in and be more present? And yeah, that's something that is a ongoing lesson for me, something that I have to remind myself of every day. I don't think I'm just going to wake up <laughs> one day um, living in this world where our culture is not telling us that message. Our culture is always telling us we need to be better. We need to be more. We need to you know, do all these other things and just not be who we are and in the present. And so, yeah, that's what I would encourage you guys to um, to tap into. And even if you're early on in your journey, celebrating 
the fact that you're learning and that you're able to do something like doing it with the joy of like, what am I going to discover today is a really cool perspective shift instead of just focusing on all of the bad things about what you're experiencing. Thank you for saying that. Such a good point to end on. So thank you for chatting with me. So appreciate it. How can people learn more about you, your books, your podcast and connect with you? Yeah. So I am over on Instagram at Mickey Trescott. Um, if you guys want to see some little peaks of the farm, some little cooking videos, that's where to find me over there. I blog at autoimmunewellness.com, lots of recipes and articles about the autoimmune protocol. And if you guys are interested in any of the medical studies, we have all of that info there and um, got a newsletter and all those kind of things you guys can plug into through the site. So thank you so much, Harper, for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do any of this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com, follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram, and join our new online community, facebook.com slash community. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor. Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer. Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music. And Amanda Grisillo for the design.